All right, so um, today is Mother's Day. I'm not breaking any news there, but um, maybe you're aware of this. You're probably aware of this. Uh, did you know that Mother's Day, it's a crazy coincidence, every year it falls on Sunday. I don't know if you knew that. And uh, so every year, every pastor is confronted with somewhat of a towering decision. Do you preach a Mother's Day sermon or not? In fact, if you, if you want, this is kind of a fun thing, you could, uh, it's such a controversial topic, you can go home and Google the question, and you'll find people with very strong opinions uh, on the church and Mother's Day. And, and look, before I get started, I, I just, um, I mean, I, I, I understand the complexity of this celebration, because for many of us, it's a day of honor and reverence, joy, gratitude, but for others, it is a painful reminder of unmet hopes or fading dreams. And I get that. I know that. So as we begin this Mother's Day, I want to acknowledge the complex, that complexity and read you this beautiful piece I came across this week called, um, somebody asked for it after the first service, you can Google wide, the wide spectrum of mothering. And here's what it says. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stain, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage or failed adoptions or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility fraught with pokes and prods and tears and disappointment, we walk with you and forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it already is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, you're blessed and we celebrate you. But to those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your kids, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who've lived through driving tests and medical tests and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who have aborted children, we remember them and you on this day. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you had longed for it to be. To those who are step-parent, we walk with you on those very complex paths. To those who envision lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those of you who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. To those who have placed children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember that you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart. We have real warriors in our midst. We remember you. And so as I speak this morning, I want you to know I understand that I am not, I, I'm speaking in, that I am speaking in, genera in generalities. That everyone's experience with the love of a mother is different. Yet I can't help but to reflect on the love of a mother today because for many of us, it's something that is so different and unique. It's worthy not just of celebrating, honoring, but if I'm very honest, I spent my week trying to figure it out because it's really quite different. Abraham Lincoln wrote, all that I am or hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. 
This week in the weekly, I shared a quote with you from Samuel Coleridge, the love of a mother is the veil of a softer light between the heart and the heavenly father. William Thackeray penned, mother is the name for God in the lips and hearts of their children. You see, if we're, if we're honest, across the ages, people have recognized that there is something different about the way a mom loves. There's something unique about it. And so this, this week, as I reflected on it, and, and my own wife and my own mother, I couldn't help but wonder why. What, what's unique about it? Why is it so different? Why has everybody always known that? And where is it coming from? And so towards that end of celebration and discovery, uh, I introduce you to what I promise will be the most unusual Mother's Day story reading from the scriptures you will ever heard. In fact, in the first service, I thought they were going to ride at one point. It is a, it's a story from the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. And, and if you know anything about the history of uh, the scriptures, we, 1 Kings is accounting the story of Israel wanting a king. God wanted to be their leader, but Israel wanted a king. And, and so God said, if you want a king, I'll let you have a king. And so many of these kings turned out to be not really good guys. And there's a story within that book about a man named Solomon. And, and here's what I've learned by, by looking at this story. Um, we believe the scripture to be inspired by God in errant and it's orig- as it was originally given. And uh, I, I hold that all to be true. But you know those little like black headings that are above the paragraphs in the Bible? I'm pretty sure those might not be inspired. Um, I'm pretty sure that those were written by men. And here's why, ladies. Because I read this story this week, and I said, this is not about what that title says it's about. And then I called some of the staff, and I said, I'm going to read you this story, and you tell me what it's about. And not one person on the staff said, oh, it's about the wisdom of Solomon. Because that's what everybody, it's what the writings talk about. This is about the wisdom of Solomon. But it's about something so much deeper and so much more. And it has to do with this crazy love of a mother. And so let's jump in. One day, two women came to King Solomon. One of them said, pardon me, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. Now, this is an interesting story about two women living together, same house. Nobody else is there, no other family, no husband, no other kids, no witnesses. Kind of a strange paradigm for women in in the ancient Far East. So just stick that in your mind. We'll circle back to that detail later. All right, so during the night, this woman, this is one woman talking to King Solomon. During the night, this woman's son died because she laid on him. And so she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by my breast and and put her dead son by my breast. I told you this was going to be a strange Mother's Day sermon, but stick with me. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. Well, the other woman said, no, the living one is my son, the dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. And see, like most ancient stories, especially biblical ones, I think we tend to read these stories kind of with an an antiseptic mindset, like just kind of reading it. But you have to think about what was going on here. I'm pretty sure this was anything but a mild disagreement. Because if if you just look at what's at stake, you've got two women, both of who are in tremendous pain, and, and likely both scared to death. 
One's lost her baby, it's died, and she had accidentally killed it. And the other had her baby stolen, and it was now in the possession of another woman who had taken it. Two moms, a dead child, and an abducted child. My guess is this is not a mild bickering, but an impassioned fight with screaming and yelling and tears. And it's into this passionate argument that the king speaks, I would say, just like a typical man. Because the king said, this one says my son is alive and your son is dead. Well, that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. I can almost hear him. All right, let's just cut to the chase, ladies. Keep it simple. We solve problems here, us guys. We don't enter the pain. So let me just recap the situation. Hey, you, take your hand off her neck. We'll get to the bottom of it. And now, so here comes the so-called wisdom of Solomon, whom the scriptures say is the wisest man to ever live. Here comes his solution to what is a horribly painful and emotional deal. A dead baby and an abducted baby. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they bought a sword for the king. He then gave an order. Cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Happy Mother's Day, one and all. See, I... I'm not sure this is the kind of wisdom that would be hailed wildly in today's courtrooms. I mean, think about it, right? Neither side is all that wild about how the Mueller report produced judgment. Can you imagine this? We'll solve it. Cut the baby in half. Now, if this story sounds familiar and you're not a student of the Old Testament, it's perhaps because this judgment, this so-called wisdom, has actually been picked up by lots of folks in contemporary culture. You can find this exact story in a Simpsons episode. You can find the exact story in a Seinfeld episode. Anybody know the Seinfeld episode? Um, I didn't remember it. I'm kind of a Seinfeld guy, but there's a time when uh, Kramer and Elaine are arguing over a bicycle and whose bike it was, and they go to Newman, who is going to be the great judge of this thing, and they actually, Newman actually, they, they use some of the biblical wording, and uh, Newman's pronouncement as they argued over it was, cut the bike in half. So, you know, it, it's, it's out there. In fact, if you're a parent, maybe you've even tried this one at home. Your kids are arguing over something. I used to try to do this. A toy or a candy. It's mine. No, it's mine. I've tried the old, well, since one of you is lying and I can't tell which one of you it is, I'm just going to keep it. That never worked once, ever. They would wind up punching each other and I would wind up with a handful of melted M&Ms. It just didn't work out. But you see, Solomon was on to something different. Solomon knew something more profound than being attached to a bicycle or to some candy. See, the woman whose son was alive, here's what the scripture says. Solomon makes that pronouncement. And the woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. You see, understanding that this is not purported to be a fictional account, and also understanding that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived, but this is also, I believe, the only time one of his judgments is recorded in all of the scripture. Why this judgment? I think there's a lot of reasons. The first is because it, 
it shows a couple of kind of different loves, and they're both really powerful loves. The first kind is one we're pretty familiar with. It's the love of the second woman. Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Now, this is a powerful love. Some of you have been involved in some dysfunctional relationships, right, where this love kind of love was at its core. This is the kind of love that has launched a million NBC Dateline episodes at night. It's common to the human condition. If you can't, then, or if I can't, then you can't. For our purposes, I, I've referred to it as spiteful love. If I can't, no one can. This is a powerful force in our lives, and it's really common. In fact, so I'm fascinated by this, trying to figure out what a mother's love is. Why is it so different? Why is it so unique? Why have people been writing about it for centuries? And so what I, what I realized along the way is science has been trying to study the same thing. Yale University actually produced a paper based on this kind of love, this darker side of love, with you will, if you will. And in their study, they examined the behavior of certain breeds of monkeys. This is so fascinating. In their initial work, what they wanted to see is if monkeys had an inherent sense of justice. So they, they would set the monkey partners up next to each other, and they would give each monkey a rope. And the rope would yank the legs out of the table of their partner monkey. So the first experiment was, if one monkey had taken food from the other monkey and brought it into his cage, what would happen? Would justice prevail? Would the one monkey realize that this was unjust and yank the table out? And that's what happened. Every time the one monkey would steal, the other monkey would recognize that an injustice had been served, he'd yank the rope, food would fall to the ground. But then they stumbled upon something different, differently. Um, this is a... I'm jumping in. They discovered not only would some monkeys pull the rope and collapse their partner's table after a direct personal affront like theft, but many of them would do so if they perceived their partner monkey was just getting something more than them. Here was their conclusion. Our study provides the first evidence of a non-human primate choosing to punish others simply because they have more. This sort of, if I can't have it, no one can response is consistent with psychological spite, a behavior previously believed unique in humans. Why am I telling you this? It's because it turns out that this is not the kind of love that is all that unique. In fact, this kind of love doesn't separate us from the animals at all. It just makes us one of them. But we feel it, don't we? I mean, I'm really familiar with this love. If I don't get the girl or the promotion, or the school record, or the recognition. It really hurts. I mean, it hurts bad. But you know what even hurts more? When you get it. In fact, if that, if that girl would just break up with you, or if you would lose your job or be disqualified from the race, well, it doesn't help me at all. Strangely, it makes me feel a little better. Spiteful love is kind of dark, but it's common. It appears, though, that Solomon knew that there was a second kind of love, a different one, a, a less familiar one, but one that he relied on and he was certain of. The scripture says that the woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son. Deeply moved. It's a different kind of love than the other woman's. Now, the translators have had a hard time portraying the depth of that love, though they've tried. One translation says that the woman yearned with compassion for her son. 
Another, and this is the old King James, says it this way, and this is actually, in my opinion, based on my study, the closest one. Then spoke the woman whose the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. This is this second kind of love. Uh, uh, for today's purposes, I've called it compassionate love. I would be willing to die so that my son might live. Uh, my hopes, my dreams, my plans, I lay them down so that your hopes and dreams and plans might come true. I suffer so you might find joy. I choose pain so that you might find relief. I choose loss so that you might find gain. This is an unusual kind of love, but it's one that Solomon understood beat deeply within the heart of a mother. A love so deep and so profound, scientists have been studying it to find what is the source of it. In fact, now ladies, one study was performed on rats, and I'm not saying there's any similarity here between moms and rats, but however, one study performed on rats found that uh, a mother's defensive behavior shifts in the presence of her children. What they did was they introduced a threat into it with these rats. And every time a threat was introduced, the rats would do one of two things. They would freeze or flee, freeze or flee every time. However, when they put the, 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 the rat's pups in the cage, she immediately changed and was willing to sacrifice her own life to defend her children from the perceived threat. In a series of experiments, they discovered this process was regulated by the activity of oxytocin. In the first service, I said oxycotton, which was really a big mistake. <laughs> so if you, uh, if you go home and go, that was really good, you should watch it. Tell them to catch the second service, otherwise it's going to seem like all of our mothers are on drugs. But anyway, <laughs> there's, this, there's this chemical in, in the mind of a mother that is released oxytocin. It's known, uh, it's known as the love hormone in the brain. And they said this likely goes for humans. Because here's the reality. God made moms different. God made moms different. They have an ability for an unusual kind of love. Now, I don't know if you've experienced it, but I've watched it in my own home every day, day after day, for well over 25 years. My wife, while she does love her kids with words and gifts, she has literally given her life away to these four children, I mean relentlessly, day after day, for over 25 years. I've given something, I mean a little less. <laughs> Not a lot, but a little. Gentlemen, can I out all of us? A public outing? Remember that night when that kid was crying for like the 10th time that night and all of a sudden they started crying again? Remember how you pretended to be sleeping? <laughs> I don't know if you're like me, you kind of know, like if I blow the snoring thing up too big, she's going to know it's fake, so it's just a, a slight... <laughs> I'm, I'm dead, aren't I? <laughs> Why? Because for me, and for all of you guys too, by the way, you should all be as dead as I am right now, because we relied on the same thing that Solomon relied on. He understood, see, there's something different about the love of a mother. Why did, I mean, think about why did God choose to give women the ability to nurse children? I'm certain it's because he knew if he gave it to men, children would starve. <laughs> right? I'm busy, I'll get to you later. 
I remember when we first held Courtney and um, uh, brought her home, how overwhelming that was. And then quickly we piled on top John and Caleb. And last but not least, Caroline came along. And here was my beautiful wife trying to balance all of it. Now, in my mind, I was the guy working, trying to enable uh, her to have this wonderful, incredible, refreshing, inviting life as a stay-at-home mom. Remember one night in particular, I came home from what I perceived as a hard day's work. And t- <laughs> I don't know what you people are laughing at. I came home from a hard day's work, and Joan seemed a little less than overjoyed with the life I was providing for her. And I said, I don't understand what's wrong. You don't seem to be appreciating all that I do and the benefits of being a stay-at-home mom. To which she replied. She goes, you, don't, you have no idea. You don't understand. You don't have a clue. You've never had to live like this all day long. Somebody you have to clean up after and feed and wash and clothe. And they're pouring at, pouring at, pouring at you. And you've got to iron and do laundry for them. And it all goes without so much as a thank you. And on top of all that, now I have these kids. (laughs) 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 I'm digging myself myself out slowly. All right. So listen, here's, here's the premise. Moms are different. There's a different kind of love here. But why? Well, maybe it would help to rattle your theological world a bit to understand this. Did you know, now let me finish before you start texting me. Did you know that God is not a man? Are you aware of this? God is not a man. Did you know that God is neither male nor female? He is spirit, and he made men and women in his image. Why? Because men and women equally were to reflect what God looks like, who he is, and listen to this now, how he loves. Now, in fact, God is not hiding this. Men have done a good job hiding this over the years. But in the scripture, God reveals himself this way over and over. To Job, he balances this out perfectly. He says to Job, does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose whose womb... Came the ice, trying to tell Job that, that there is a God. Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? God spoke to the prophet Isaiah as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. That word that the, the translator had a hard time with trying to figure out the best way to get across that feeling, that intimacy, that, that, that issue of the mother's love for her son. In Hebrew, it's the word rahamim which means tender mercy, but it comes from the root word rahan, which means womb. This is the intensity of the love a mother has for her son in this story. It's reflective. It's to be a picture of the love that God has for you and I as sons and daughters. I've told you over the years I love Psalm 103, and my favorite line in Psalm 103 is this. Uh, as a father has compassion on his children. The word there is the same kind of love displayed by the mother, out of the womb kind of passion. So the Lord has compassion on those who fears him. God loves us with the intensity of a mother's love. Conversely, it's a mother's love which reflects to us the love of God. All of which makes Thackeray's quote I read before to you even more poignant. Mother is the name for God in the lips and hearts of little children. 
Now, I know this kind of love has not been everyone's experience with their moms. I get that. In fact, I know in hearing this this morning, if you are a mom, you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, I'm not there as a mom myself. I have a long way to go. I might be expressing something to my kids, all right, but it's probably more anger or disappointment than it is love. And see, that's the thing about Mother's Day, too. It can often make moms and women in general out to feel less than good or less than successful. I mean, heck, if you've been around the church long enough, I'm sure you've heard of the Proverbs 31 woman. She works, she cleans, she can bring home the bacon and fry it up in a pan. She's virtuous. And that's a wonderful aspiration. But can I show you a strange detail about this story? One that, as I shared it with the staff uh, this week, some of the staff, they're like, you know, I never caught that little detail before. Maybe, maybe if you're familiar with the story, maybe you haven't caught the detail before either. It's actually not in some translations. They left it out, and I'll tell you why. You remember how the story started? Two women came to the king. Here's how actually the story is translated in most of the scriptures. Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. You see, that's why there's no husbands. That's why there's no witnesses. That's why there's no families. The house that they were in is not a home with a warm fireplace. It's likely a brothel. You see, these two were something less than Proverbs 31 women. See, here's the truth. You need to hear this and know this on two accounts. A, a, a woman doesn't have to be sinless to be a real, loving, caring mother. Real moms, and I, I searched for why this would be, why would they record this judgment of Solomon's in scriptures? And I think, I think part of it is because, A, the way Solomon treats two prostitutes as if they're human beings, he doesn't dismiss them. Dismiss them. And I, see, I think the second is this. The reality is real moms are imperfect. They've got imperfect pasts. They screw things up. Remember that, ladies. So maybe you could go a little easier on yourself. And as we reflect on our own moms today, keep that in mind too. Now, nothing reflects the love of God more than the love of a mother. And nothing I found, maybe in many years of ministry, reflected the love of God and how it is reflected through the love of a mother more than this Mother's Day video tribute these two young ladies put together for their mom. I found it on YouTube this week. It was deeply moving for me. I want to share it with you.
Carol Huck. She's the youngest daughter of Ted and Anna Huck, neither of whom had so much as a high school education. And she was the last born children of four. Her older two brothers would go on to serve in the Navy. Both would return home changed men, damaged by the experience, and unfortunately rabid alcoholics. Her older sister was born severely mentally handicapped with cerebral palsy, never really able to walk, and with a cognitive function of about a sixth grader. So by the time Carol came along, she was the fourth kid, but truth is the first three had sucked a lot of the oxygen out of the home. She grew up in Newark. Her parents never owned a house. She'd go on to marry a sailor herself, and it was not an easy marriage. If Carol thought things were rough at home, in some manner she jumped out of the frying pan and into the fire because she'd go on to have four kids, in the span of exactly five years. Her husband went to school at night and Carol stayed home with these four babies until he got home. Then she would go to work. She worked the midnight shift at the Four Oaks Diner, dealing with the drunk kids and the crass overnight crowd. But allowed her to be home with her kids during the day. She would go on to take on all kinds of menial jobs to get by. She drove a school bus for handicapped children she worked at a, as a cashier at a supermarket. She watched other people's babies all so that her kids could just get a little bit more, maybe be a little bit more. Things got tougher still though, the marriage failed. She was forced to go back full time as a bank teller where she rose up to be a branch manager. She, really, she remarried and tasted love for a little bit. It was short lived though. Her husband contracted lung cancer and died just a few years after they were married. Her parents aged, and so now she was taking care of not just four kids in her home, but her mom and her dad and her brother and her sister in their home. In fact, when her mom passed away, Carol moved her aging father and handicapped sister into her house, where she took care of each of them until they eventually passed away too. Carol loved. She gave it all away. She had Rahamim for her kids and her family. Her kids noticed there was something different in her love, something profound and deep that taught them about a different kind of lover, something that reflected to them and to everyone who came in touch with her, not just a mother's love, but the love of God. And 
Dr. Sun would go on to take all of those lessons and all of those examples and try to share them with others. As a pastor, he hoped they might, too, come to know a different kind of love. I'm that pastor. Carol's my mom. She showed me God. Sometimes I think about my mom's life a little bit like a tube of toothpaste. It just got all squeezed out of her. She gave it away freely. She's home this morning. She's got COPD. She can't move around much. But she watches me every Sunday. I love you, Mom. Thanks for showing me God. And so the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Don't kill him. She's the mother. When all of Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. There's one, there's one last kind of love. We're familiar with the first. It's common. If I can't have it, you can't either. There's a second, a mother's love, which says, I might die so that my son might live. That's crazy, and it's self-sacrificing. But the son still lives. There's one other kind of love. You don't see it in this story, but you do in ours. There's a deeper and more profound love. It's a love that would be willing to not only lose oneself, but also lose one's son. You see, it's one thing to die myself so that my son might live. It's another to let my son die so others might live. Who could do that? No one could ever love that deeply, that recklessly. And by that, by God's will, we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And we've seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. The love of God reflected in the love of imperfect mothers. May you have the faith in God and his love that Solomon had had in the love of a mother. I've been given a great privilege this Mother's Day. My mom's alive and I have a microphone. But you could still go home, call, write, text, an imperfect mom, and let her know that she showed you just a little piece of God.